as a quote-unquote bomb cyclone of a storm, and I'm here to put a bow on the University of Washington football season with my partner in crime, who has been for this whole season, Michael Stanton. Stanton, how are we doing? We're doing great. We uh, both made it into 2018, so another year down, so we can't complain about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, surprising that you're still in 2018 after after your pregame meal. Do you want to tell everyone what you just, you just ingested? Uh, it was a combination of, of a hamburger with a bratwurst and cream cheese and hot sauce, and it's uh, it's weighing me down a bit. But uh, you know, I'll power through. I'm here. Yeah, you're doing the perfect thing. You're just sitting down and, and talking. So hopefully, hopefully not too much stress on the old ticker <laughs> for this. Yeah, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> never doing that again. I thought you would have learned your lesson after we uh, we crushed that Domino's on on Christmas Eve. Yeah, the key is uh, to get cheese and then add double cheese and then also get the Asiago uh, Parmesan. But anyways. I think if we don't end up getting that Overstock.com sponsorship, we could definitely do Domino's because we could, you could teach the world a whole lot about how to how to maneuver the Domino's app, I think. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll get into it. We're, get, we're here to talk about the... Uh, Obviously, the big game that happened, but first, let's talk about the most important news um, in Husky football as of late. Uh, wide receiver Braden Lenius changed his name to Braden Dickey, and we really could spend the whole hour talking about that. Um, any quick thoughts on on this this radical piece of news? Um, you know, I I haven't really thought about it, probably because he's just been a non-factor ever since he's joined the Washington football program but uh hey whatever whatever works if if he comes out next year and is just an absolute game breaker uh you can point to this change alone i think yeah we'll uh we'll talk about the implications of of this name later but um i'm never mm-hmm. rooting for for brayden lenius now dicky harder than i have in my life uh because Agreed. he's a very large man and there's a rapper little dicky but we have a, a chance to have uh, some big dicky which would, which would be great um, but talking about the real, the real big issues of the or big, uh, big news of the Husky football program would be uh, the recent loss to Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, the Huskies on Saturday lost their first Fiesta Bowl appearance ever and their first game against Penn State since 1983 by a score of 35 to 28 in somewhat thrilling fashion. Um, how did you feel at the very end of that game with the Dante Pettis hook and ladder? Once Dante caught that ball, you thought what? Uh, my initial reaction was I thought he was gone because I couldn't see anybody in the, uh, uh, off. There was obviously some defensive backs off the screen at that time, but I was like, Oh, Oh boy, here we go. We've, he's done it again. Chris Peterson in the Fiesta Bowl. But, uh, but at the same time, it's like, I, I wasn't too bummed at the end because we didn't, we did not deserve to win that game at all. So no, certainly not. We were outgained by almost 200 yards in the game. Uh, Penn State dominated time of possession. We'll talk about some other statistics that they dominated in. But yeah, once Pettis got that ball on the hook and ladder, I was I, I, I didn't think that he was going to score on that play. I thought, obviously, you know, big gain. Uh, you need another one of those because of how the Huskies had started that drive so miserably. You needed another big play like that, and certainly Chris Peterson's your guy. I would have just loved to see what that next play would have been um, had Pettis gotten out of bounds and you have at that point about four seconds left. Um, I, I imagine that there would be something, something innovative and spectacular that, that we probably won't get to see for, for a while. So uh, Pettis robbed us of that, but he certainly gave us um, quite the career. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. So you kind of alluded to this, but you don't think the game was that close. Larry Stone described it as quote, a seven point route. Uh, the Huskies were down 28-7 at one point and 35-21. Uh, so what do you think? Were, were, were we kind of having an off day, or did it just seem to you that Penn State was clearly the better football team uh, the whole way through? I I really struggle saying Penn State was the better football team just because that's the Husky in me. But I will say in that game, in that specific game, they definitely were. I mean – 
They gained 545 total yards on offense, uh, which is a Penn State Bowl record. And I, I'm not even going to look at our stats. I just got to believe that that's the most yardage we've given up this season. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, it, I mean, I'll give I'll give UW credit. They hung in there. Uh, they, they were there at the end, so they showed a lot of resolve in that standpoint. But at the same time, Three pretty costly Penn State turn- turnovers really kept us in that game. Um, they outpossessed us uh, by over 10 minutes. Um, it was just, it was one way, as I said in a previous podcast, bringing soccer into the equation, it was really one way traffic for a lot of the game. Um, and we'll get into more of the specifics of why that is in our four down segment. But uh, yeah, it was, I was, I was honestly shocked that we were still in it at the end. Yeah, the end made it fun. The end made it interesting. Um, obviously, the Gaskin ripoff at the end uh, put us within within a score with six six and a half minutes to go. And so at that point, um, you know, it's kind of a similar similar tale to how the Huskies have have played in in close games throughout the season, get very close and then uh, unable to pull it out outside of the Utah game. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting game. It's kind of a litmus test for a lot of things that we'll get into um, in a little bit. So plenty to talk about. We'll start with our four down segment. Uh, we're going to do our first down. We're going to talk about the the guys that are leaving this program. And there's a couple that, that are based off of speculation, or really one that's based off of speculation, um, but plenty that, that we know are leaving just because of, of you know their senior status. Uh, and then also uh, junior defensive tackle Vita Vea has announced that he is leaving uh, to pursue the NFL draft, which is great news for him because he's about to be a very rich man. Uh, the other guy that we want to lead this with is probably the most, um, I don't know, the most the most memories created for a Husky fan uh, is by this guy, and that's Miles Gaskin. Um, ends the, his career with 3,000-plus uh, yard seasons, um, almost got to the UW career rushing record, uh, was just an outstanding player and very, very under understated in his in his production throughout his career. Any any kind of lasting thoughts about Miles Gaskin? Again, we're speculating that he's going to go pro. I I certainly don't blame him um, if he were to do that, just because at a certain point, why why take extra hits in college for free when you can go go make money and do the same thing in the NFL? Yeah, totally can't blame him. Um, I mean, he hasn't announced yet, but I'm totally expecting that he will. Uh, the thing that really sticks with me for Miles Gaskin um, is probably his consistency. He came in as a true freshman and immediately was given the reins. Um, do you remember? Was he supposed to split carries with someone that freshman year? And, and yeah, I mean there, there was right? a there was a lot of guys involved in that. That was the uh, kind of the Deontay Cooper, Levon Coleman, Miles uh, Miles right. Gaskin. They're trying to figure all that out. Um, and yeah, I can close my eyes and think about kind of Gaskin's seizing of that position at, in the Sacramento State game non-conference that year ripped off a couple long runs and it just looked like okay there's your guy and from there he uh he never really looked back yeah and I mean when talking about consistency he had 1300 yards or more in all three seasons he was at UW um and surprisingly this season which he had his most the most yardage at th- three, 1380 uh, he actually had the least amount of carries out of all the three seasons. So uh, he was able to do more with less as time went on, ripping off 21 rushing touchdowns this season, which is seven more than uh, than his next best season, which was his freshman season with 14. So uh, incredible running back. It's just another uh, era of just running backs at UW just kind I wouldn't say coming out of nowhere but in a way he he sort of did and it just seems like whenever we lose a guy like Gaskin it's just somebody steps up and becomes that new guy it happened with Sankey it happened with Polk it happened with Gaskin obviously and I think we're uh, I don't want to jinx it but I think we might be looking at it with Savan Ahmed as well yeah, for a long time there was a kind of a crater at, at running back with with the the Washington Football Program, and then you rip off uh, in a row Lewis Rankin to to Chris Polk to uh, um, to Bishop Sankey, and now to to Miles Gaskin in that kind of next era. So uh, hey, I I think Kenny James deserves a little credit here too. He was there during during some dark periods, but he wasn't terrible. Can't so. forget Shelton Sampson um, and yeah. the, the, the the Oregon performance. So yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's a long history of great running backs, but uh, Gaskin. Kind of, you know, I'm thinking about like what's the Miles Gaskin play? Well, there are just so many. There are so many times when he he came up big and and really put it on some teams. So um, 
sad to see him go, but but wish him the very best in the in the NFL. Uh, Vita Vea, moving on down that list of guys, we kind of got to do a quick toast to. What what do you think about Vita Vea when when you know you close their eyes and think about uh, his impact on the program? Uh, I mean, wh- one of the better interior linemen, uh, defensive linemen we've we've had in a while. I mean, we've had a lot of great ones. Uh, Danny Shelton comes to mind, obviously, and you could go way back and talk about Steve Vetman, blah blah blah. But in recent in recent memory, uh, Vea he he seemed to kind of do it in. Uh, he was kind of quiet in the way he did it. I mean, he didn't rack up a huge number of sacks like uh, um, Kakaha did. Um, he only had three sacks this season, but he was the third. He had the third most QB hurries um, in college football, so he was very effective nonetheless. Uh, probably a testament to the fact that he was uh, being double teamed a lot. But, oh yeah, uh, yeah, outstanding athlete for his body makeup it's just incredible to watch yeah it was it was great to see Vea go from this kind of hypothetical as a freshman to everyone being like oh watch out you know if Vita Vea ever puts it together uh to to the literal product that we saw at the end of this season where he was just unblockable um in that Washington State game there was just nothing that they that they could do to stop him uh my my lasting memory of Vita Vea is has nothing well has plenty to do with football but wasn't on a football field it was heading into the uh the Peach Bowl last year and uh, we're in kind of this like convention center area outside the Georgia Dome as the Huskies are coming into the game. And the whole team's walking in, and everyone's got headphones on, and they're shaking hands with the fans. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of bright-eyed. And then in the middle of the pack is just Vita Vea, full sunglasses on, backwards hat, looking directly ahead, not making contact with anybody. Um, he was he was ready to go for that for that Alabama game, and that was, um, that was pretty awesome to see him come into, into the game like that. Um, just kind of a, an interesting personality uh, with with uh, plenty of talent. It is too bad he wasn't able to pull off that uh, that Danny Shelton barrel in the uh, Apple Cup. That would have been a nice topper as well. One of my favorite plays in Husky history. Um, yeah, definitely the favorite road game play that I've ever seen. Uh, moving <laughs> on down the list, Dante Pettis um, is certainly a guy that Husky fans will miss. Um, just a, a great four year player. Kind of came in with that initial Chris Peterson program. Um, a guy that you know was playing over Casey Williams at a certain point it was getting more snaps just because of of how he fit the system and and how Peterson liked him, um, and kind of in a in a reserve role and a punt return role, and we slowly saw that develop into into kind of John Ross's wingman last season, and then to a full primetime um, legit number one guy this season, um, kind of the, the just the the perfect epitome of a, of a four year college football player, huh? Yeah, I mean. Consensus first team All American this year. Uh, he was an All Pac 12 first team at both uh, wide receiver and return specialist this season as well. I believe he was one of the first recruits that uh, Peterson got when he came over from Boise State because, if I'm not mistaken, he was either committed or verbally committed or was uh, being for sure being recruited by Boise State because his uh, older brother went to Boise State and. Uh, so obviously there's a little bit of a Peterson effect there, um, and it turned out uh, great for us. Yeah, I described Pettis one time in a, in a text message as a, as a joy factory. Just you watch him play, and he just kind of had this genuine uh, jubilation every time he would score a touchdown. Got to be honest, the, the cat paw celebration is is just unbelievable and i hope he carries that into the nfl with him um and i'm I actually that where he licked his paws yeah exactly licked his paws cleaned himself um just very very innovative extremely out of the box um kind of from a an interesting cat no pun intended but um but yeah so pettis was a guy that you know you saw him score that 10th punt return touchdown against oregon and the way he had husky stadium jumping and 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 just ex- the the extreme amount of energy that he he was able to bring and create in that stadium um, was awesome and and he's one of those guys that you saw hard work pay off um, just kind of the confidence of of being like why am I on the field wearing number eighty seven his freshman year to um, to the guy that we all saw um, dominate as as number eight in his last couple years there so we will miss Dante Pettis I'm I'm very intrigued to see how he performs as an NFL player extremely athletic guy um, with a lot of upside so should be fun. Some guys that are a little less stated, um, less less stars for the program, but but certainly 
had some impacts uh, as seniors that are gonna that are gonna be out of here. Uh, Will Disley came out of nowhere this year to be a big part of the passing game. Coleman Shelton was a was a was a great center for the Huskies. Um, just super reliable. He'll he'll get a shot in the NFL, I think. Uh, Connor O'Brien filled in for the defensive end spot um, last year when we really needed him to. Uh, performed admirably. Ezekiel Turner, big time safety. Uh, but the two guys I think in the senior class that are gonna really stick out to me. Keyshawn Bieria and LaVon Coleman. I mean, those two guys, um, you know, Bieria with his defensive impact, just a, a playmaker, an athletic guy out there. Uh, and then LaVon Coleman, a guy who I, I, he won the Arizona game for us um, two seasons ago down there when, when our backs were against the wall. Yeah. And something to bring up with Bieria is the fact that he, uh, the last two seasons, he won the Guy Flaherty Most Inspirational Award. Um, he was absolutely probably the biggest team leader in that locker room, which is hard to come by and uh, something that definitely is worth pointing out. Um, just the heart and soul of the Husky defense out there on the field. So uh, definitely a huge loss. Uh, you got to feel good about the linebacking core we have, bring, we have coming back. Um, someone you didn't mention, obviously, is Azeem Victor, which has been mm. a, a roller coaster type of uh, time here at UW. And it, it was so great last year. Ended with a with an injury, and then uh, just never really seemed to get it all back together. And then obviously had some shortcomings off the field, and that that basically was the end of his career. Um, but I think it's still worth pointing out that he was he was you know one of the first people with, that kind of created that whole death row defense mantra. And I think that we'll see that trickle down uh, alongside from Bieri as well for. Uh, many years to come and then also one last person well there might be more but uh future all pro kicker tristan viscano how could we forget uh, you you read my mind i was about to talk about viscano we we you know we spent so much time thinking about what's our favorite miles gaskin memory vita vea memory i i forgot to ask you what was your favorite miss tristan viscano kick this season Miss kick, I I don't remember those things. I put them out of my my mind. Yeah, I, I don't want to bring those back up. Uh, the Arizona State one comes to mind. That whole debacle. <laughs> um, I think my favorite miss kick with with Vizcaino, um was the non kick against Stanford, where we didn't trust our kicking game enough, um, and then went for it on fourth down in the red zone. Uh, ultimately kind of spinning the the game in an opposite direction from what it was going. Um, so yeah, this guy I know ended up hitting a huge game winning kick against Utah, uh, but will end up as one of the most mercurial players in, in Husky football <laughs> history. So um, we won't one, miss you. One last person that needs to be mentioned too. Um, and he played all over the offensive line and that's uh, Coleman Shelton, who was the Pac-12 first team. Uh, performer this year uh, snuck in with an academic honorable mention as well oh, yes yeah. there you go we love that here on the pod so uh, yeah great great player for us um, and he will surely be missed I wonder how you get academic all-conference no clue no clue I mean, that, that process I, is I didn't, I didn't play sports in college nor was I academically sound enough to even approach that accolade you would need both of those things to make it happen and, and we had yeah yeah yes correct uh, it seems it seems fairly arbitrary like you just kind of i don't know fill out a form and they give it to you but uh nonetheless congrats to coleman on on achieving that uh we're gonna move to second down which is we're gonna talk about uh jake browning and kind of his his season we talked i said mercurial about about uh Vizcaino, but weirdly jake browning has had a just an incredibly odd I feel like his PR is strange, um, and, and the public perception of Jake Browning's play is, is odd. Um, he's a guy that's incredibly productive. Uh, you and I were just talking about how he is now the single-season record holder for completion percentage at the University of Washington. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, 68.5% uh, completion percentage this year, topping Keith Price's 66. Point, what was that, 9% in 2011. So he's on top, um, you know, 43 touchdowns last season, sixth in the Heisman ballot. Um, you know, only through five picks this year to 19 to 19 touchdowns for all intents and purposes. This is a guy who's won an incredible amount of games at, at, at Washington will, will win some more next year. Um, but people aren't too happy with his play because of some of the, the kind of the qualitative values of him, uh, you know, coming from 43 touchdowns last season to 19 this year, um, 
did did Jake Browning regress this season? What what do you think? I it's it's really hard to say yes or no on that because there's a lot of outside factors that go into a quarterback success. I mean, you had John Ross last season who was an absolute game breaker and John Ross made Dante Pettis much better than he was this season, um, at least on the receiving end. So do you have to look at that? Um, it's, it's, it's incredible to me that we've gone from the 2016 conference offensive player of the year to people saying like, should we bench Jake Browning? I am firmly against that, um, just oh, because yeah. who else would we put in? And also, he's proven that he can win games, as you mentioned. Um, but at the same token, there's some glaring issues with his game that I think needs to be worked on. Um, he seems to have some accuracy issues when going downfield a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, I think one of the biggest things, and this is this kind of bleeds into... Um, kind of what UW's missing as a team in general, but he just doesn't seem to possess that uh, kind of killer instinct, something that, you know, when you get in that big game and you need your best player, your star player to take over, he just, as far as I can remember, I just, I don't, I don't think he's really shown that yet. And um, it's just kind of disappointing in that fashion because he's statistically been great, especially last season. Yeah, I think... It's hard to say. Um, I, I've, I've brought this up. I don't know if it's been on this pod or, or just in conversation before, but if you flip Jake's sophomore and junior season, so this season with last season, and just look statistically, you'd look at a, 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 a normal curve. Um, you know, 43 touchdowns is a pretty big outlier going from 15 yeah. to 19 to then 43 in that case. Um, however, I think you kind of saw this season a more, more realistic look at what you have in Jake Browning, which is an incredibly solid, incredibly, you know, functional uh, Pac-12 quarterback and then last season when he was chock full of weapons like he was you saw what he could what he could do so it's it's tough to really to really evaluate him Uh, but like you're saying the the qualitative stuff is certainly there you look at um, you know the the arm strength going down the field the arm strength on the the run you know he's throwing a lot of of balls in the dirt when guys are open downfield Um, you know you you watch that Penn State game and Trace McSorley is able to extend plays with his legs you don't really see that with Browning some attempts to do that Um, but Either way, you're talking about a guy um, who is going to end up with the all-time wins record at, at, at Washington. And I actually disagree. I think that, that what we saw against Utah this year was that killer instinct start to manifest. And unfortunately, mm, yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, kind of the way that game ended, 8 of 9 passing on his last 9 attempts, um, got the Huskies back from, from the, the, the clutches of defeat into a victory that game with a little help from all-pro kicker Tristan Vizcaino. Um mm-hmm. But but with Browning, you saw kind of those those little blips. Um, you know, obviously more accurate this season with the percentages we talked about, and then just kind of that that performance there in Utah. Uh, but it's not enough, and I think that that part of that problem is that he never got tested. He, you know, if if he had that big game, that Utah game last year, I think it would have benefited more against Stanford and Arizona State this year. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting career, and I think next year is going to be kind of this this perfect little petri dish of okay, well, you know, you don't have all all Pac-12 uh, receivers anymore, but you're also a senior. You know, you're the most experienced quarterback in this conference. What can you do? Yeah, and um, like you said, you do lose Pettis, but you regain Chico McClatcher, Hunter Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you regain uh, Aaron Fuller, who keeps improving year after year. Uh, a couple. Uh, Guys, you know, young guys like Ty Jones and a couple other receivers that are coming in this year's class, um, and you're going to be pretty much thrown to the wolves immediately with uh, our game against Auburn. So, um, I, it'll be really interesting to see how he performs right out of the gates. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this is this is Jake's year to kind of cement his his place in Husky history. Is is he just this, you know? pretty good placeholder for four years until you know that the, the truly great quarterback arrives at, at at washington or is he that guy and so um it'll be very interesting to see um quick stat about browning he's seven four seven and four against ranked teams in his three years at, at washington five and two since his freshman year those are pretty good right um however you know it, they don't none of those games really seem to be wow that was that was jake browning's game he, he's winning us those types of games yeah, and in games like you know the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl last year, those are the 
games that you'd really like to see that, like I mentioned, Killer Instinct come out in. And granted, those are two very good teams that we're playing against. But at the same time, if you want to be the best, you got to raise your game to that level. And he just hasn't seemed to do that in those big games. So uh, hopefully next season, like I said, Auburn, first game. Yeah, so a career 65 touchdowns and 17 picks in games against unranked teams. That number goes down to 13 touchdowns and seven picks uh, against ranked teams and losing a bunch of yards per game and and kind of those statistical games. So yes, a lot of wins, but uh, but we're seeing a dip in production, which is to be expected against good teams. But at some point, you need Browning to uh, to do a little bit more. So like we've said a bunch of times, we will get that chance next season. Moving on to third down, uh, an appropriate down for what we're about to talk about. Third down defense has just been. Uh, the Achilles heel, just the, the the nail in the coffin for the Huskies this season. Um, in the, their three losses, they average the teams playing them averaged uh, 53% conversion rate on third downs. In their in their uh, nine wins, it was uh, down to 37%. So when when the Huskies could stop teams and, and get them off the field and get their defense um, off the field and get their defense some rest and get their offense in good field position, things were gravy. When they couldn't, they lost. Simple as that. Um, so third down defense was was just a, a killer this season, qualitatively as well, watching the Huskies defense struggle to, to, to get off the field when you know, you're in third and long situations against Penn State. Um, just how demoralizing was it to see those those conversions happen over and over? I, I counted, I think, nine of the first ten uh, through the first three quarters of that Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Penn State converted, and the one that they didn't convert, they ended up converting for a touchdown on fourth down. So basically 10 out of 10, uh, if you look at it that way, were converted. And it was just, it, it felt like the Stanford game all over again. I think Stanford started like 9 of 10 or 10 of 10 in that game. And it's just, it's demoralizing as a defense because, first of all, um, just like mentally, it's like, what are we doing wrong here? But secondly, physically, it's just you need to get off the field. It's tiring out your defense. So, uh Disappointing in that regard. Um, with that said, I I slightly disagree. I think the UW defense overall for the season were not poor on third downs. I mean, I have I'm looking at them. They're they rank 55th nationally on third down percentage, and I think they if you take away the uh, Penn State game, they're up into the mid 20s. Mm. So I mean, that's 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 not that bad. But then again, you know, when it really mattered. Uh, they they didn't show up so unfortunate that it had to happen in the Fiesta Bowl but uh it's just how it uh how it kind of all unfolded who are the two best teams that that Washington played this year uh Penn State and probably Stanford or am I forgetting someone uh no you're right and so in those games that number goes up to 65 percent on third down conversions um wow which is, you know, <laughs> that's that's just unacceptable for, for, for those two games. So um, it's it's a problem. And when you're playing elite offenses and, you know, I was about to say elite quarterbacks, but that's really only the case against Penn State. You're playing against a freshman, K.J. Costello, uh, and Stanford. And, and uh, for them to be able to, to move on you like that is a problem. Um, Keyshawn Bieria, a guy we just mentioned, Husky linebacker, just played his last game at, at Washington and said, we understood third down is a money down. You've got to get off the field. And every time we have a problem with that, we lose games. So uh, the team knows it. And, and to, to know that going into the game and still struggle like they did against Penn State uh, is a tough pill to swallow. There's uh, there's one Pac-12 team in the top five on defensive third down conversion rate. Uh, can you guess what team that is? Hmm. Go Beavs. <laughs> no, it is actually the Washington State Cougars at number four. How incredible is that? I'm trying to figure out why that would be some like some diagnosis of of why that would continue to occur. Some like weird phenomenon in the way that they play. Just yeah, exactly. Be fourth. I I have no yeah, idea. I I can't explain that at all. I mean, not to take anything away from the Cougs season this year, but fourth. That's incredible. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, mean, it, I think that might just be proof that, that that number, kind of your third down percentage is, is pretty variable, um, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, uh, it's just important in big games, especially. So, yeah. um, we've, uh, we've certainly 
stated that point over and over. Uh, we talked about that for you know heading into the UCLA game as as that's a that's a point of emphasis for the Huskies, and it was they did better against the UCLA's and the Cal's and the Colorado's of the world, um, but just couldn't get it done against against the, uh, the the big time teams that and there were only a few that the Huskies played this season. All right, so moving on to fourth down, uh, this is kind of a. a you know, a, a hot take group text uh, topic that, that you, me, and our, our buddy Caleb had. Uh, but talking about Saquon Barkley, Penn State star running backs, kind of rating. Is is he, you know, he's a guy that got a lot of national acclaim. Uh, but from your, you know, estimation from what you saw against the Huskies, so, Saquon Barkley overrated, underrated, or, yeah, that's about right for him. Um, I want to preface this by saying I think Saquon Barkley's probably the best running back in college football this year uh he's right up there in the top two or three uh for sure i think um what's the kid from san diego state penny oh yeah and uh bryce love would argue that they were the best but uh but with that said i think barkley is a bit overhyped um he's obviously a big he's a big nfl prospect he's on mel kuyper's big board as number one um but at the same time, he was pretty inconsistent this season, I thought. Um, he had, I think, seven games. The majority of his games that he played, he actually averaged under five yards a carry. And I know five yards is a lot, but, you know, all the all the good backs out there are averaging well above five carries. I mean, or five yards per carry. Uh, to compare, Miles Gaskin averaged 6.2 yards per carry over the season. And in nine of his 13 games, he averaged over five yards. So... Miles um, Gaskin actually outperformed Barkley on the ground. The the place that Barkley makes up for it is in the receiving game, which we didn't really give Gaskin much of an opportunity to be in the receiving game, so it's hard to compare them. But uh, if you just look at rushing totals uh, uh, specifically, uh, Gaskin's the better running back in that standpoint. Now, there's a lot of different things you can talk about, you know, conference, blah blah blah. But um, I think I think he got a lot of praise that he probably shouldn't have gotten as much as he got but that's could just me being bitter be me being bitter yeah i think um you know you talked about the husky defense being being good like you know this is this is a very talented defense so um i think for the most part the huskies were able to shut him down the the two big problems that we'll talk that you know we've we've already talked about was um he was a he was a threat on third down had nobody to cover him on third and short so he got open and he's just uh, such a, so great at breaking tackles that uh, he was able to to break through for a couple first first downs on on plays where we seemingly had uh, Penn State stopped. Um, so that was tough. And then you know he ends up with um, you know with uh, with a, with a big game in terms of total rushing yards, but 92 of those rushing yards came on one play. And if you look back at that play, both of you and I were able to to spot a clear hold on that play. And that's just bitter fans. You know you can look back and see that. Um, so that's a play where the Huskies probably had him stopped on that play as well. And you take out that 92 yard run, he only averages two and a half yards per carry just about. Um, so I'm doing all these things to detract Barkley. However, aesthetically he's unreal. I mean, on that 92 yard run, once he got past the, uh, the line, he just bolted past Keyshawn Bieria, who I think you and I would both consider as one of the best linebackers in the conference, certainly one of the most athletic, uh, bolted past him. And then if you look back at it, JoJo McIntosh had a dead-to-right angle on him uh, towards the sideline to make the tackle, and Barkley just blew past him as well. Um, so he is an unreal athlete, and to, to move like he does at that size um, and, and how versatile he is in, in the, the receiving game as well, I think he's going to be special um, at the next level when when there's a system designed around him. I don't think Penn State had that system necessarily. Yeah, he's he's your perfect combination of uh, of speed and just raw power. And if you just look at that guy, he's thick and he will run through you if he's given the opportunity. Uh, and like you said, just absolutely left those guys for dead uh, on the sideline there. So uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess those big carries are going to happen. Um, like you mentioned, only 45 yards if you take away the 92, but. Uh, at the same token, it's slightly unfair to take away from him. So, right. just an overall great running back. Um, happy we didn't have to play him every season when he was at Penn State, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that he could make that 92-yard run is, is really the, the important part to know about Barkley going forward. He's a guy that you will certainly hear from uh, for years to come if you, as you tune into the NFL. 
Um, so we got through our, our last downs of the season. It's, it's kind of sad. Um, a, a slight tear to my eye. Uh, it's too cold for, for me to have actual tears. They freeze on my face. So I'm going to power through it. Um, we are, we're talking now about an article that came out that I didn't even think was that contentious um, when I read it the first time, but I read to some of the reaction on Twitter uh, to the Seattle Times writer Larry Stone, who we mentioned earlier. Basically, Stone published an article after the the Penn State game saying uh, the Huskies had a long way to go. Like I said, he called it a seven-point route. Um, you know, some Husky fans are saying, well, you know, we're, we're getting close on that drive. We discussed that already. Uh, what did you think about the Stone article? Did you think it was, was inflammatory and, and too critical of, the, of the, the Husky football program, or was it fair, or you know, was it, was it maybe not, not critical enough of, of what's going on in, in, in Mont Lake? I, uh, I tended to agree with it. I mean, I definitely don't think we're there yet, and if you do think we're there yet, then you need to probably aspire for a little bit more here. But uh, I, we're, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like we're lacking that, that killer instinct and that kind of game breaker that seemingly every big college football team has, you know, Penn state has their Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley and uh, Baker Mayfield for Oklahoma or, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, you could say that's miles Gaskin, um, which for us, I think it was this season, but um, I don't know. It just seems like it, it also could just be, national media not giving us that much attention but it just seems like you know we're kind of still the for lack of a better phrase little brother to these big schools that are contending for you know the college football playoff every season um i think i think we're close you got to remember that we're only what four seasons into the chris peterson era mm-hmm. he's just getting uh all of his players uh like the whole roster is now made up of all of his players so you know um I think we're we're just beginning what will probably be a long tenure for Peterson at UW. Um, I'm usually a half glass full type of person, so I'm feeling really optimistic about UW's chances going forward in the next five or so years, especially with the recruiting success that we've had recently. Um, but I think we're still lack, lacking one or two big time players to uh, really push us over the edge. I like it was a Freudian slip there, but you you said uh, half glass full um, instead of glass half full, and half glass full just mm. sounds like you know you got you got a nice nice beverage all the time. <laughs> That's what you meant. Didn't even right? notice that. Yeah, but uh, great listening. Uh, yeah, a couple things. I mean, it's it's Peterson's fourth year, yes, but I mean, look who's look who's in the the college football championship right now. Um, that's Kirby Smart in his first year with Georgia. Um, so you know, it's 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 a it's a valid point that that this program is building. However, you know, it's it's fair to expect a little bit more. And really, I mean, since since Peterson's got here, you've basically had three games, three big games against uh, non-conference teams. Um, uh, if, you, if you count this one, it's the Oklahoma State Bowl game um, in, in Peterson's first year. I, I, I th- I'm okay with washing that out. So you just have two, and that's the Penn State game and the Alabama game. And, um, you know, we were close in the Penn State game. We just talked about that. Um, but how close were you really? And then in that Alabama game, it, there were parts of that game where it, it didn't look like we, we could gain yards on them if, if we, tr- if you know, if, if we had, if we could, I'm saying we couldn't score on them if we had 100 possessions. Um, it was just, it was just impossible to get past that, that type of team. Granted, those are two of the best programs in college football, but hey, if you want to be that best program in college football, you got to show that you can play with them. So I think Stone's article was more than fair. Um, I think that, that his point kind of got missed. Um, as some sort of critical, like nothing, nothing is positive uh, within the program. I think that there's plenty of things to be excited about, especially, you know, we've talked about the dark days on this, on this podcast many times, but uh, you know, it's, it's time. This is, this is big program problems. You know, you, you can't call yourself a big program and, oh, you know, we have, uh, you know, we're in a national recruiting destination and greatest stadium and or greatest setting in, in college football and then not complain about not winning the big game. I mean, that's just that's a part of of um, kind of the the elevation of a program as these start these types of things are are what you're looking for. And and you're not even a full decade removed from a winless season, which I mean, I guess that doesn't carry as much weight with UCF going undefeated and being two years removed from a defeated season. But um, for a Power Five team, I think that is it's might be harder to turn around given the quality of pony you're playing week in and week out. 
Um, nothing, not taking away anything from UCF. Absolutely crazy story. But still, ten, not even a full decade outside of uh, that season. I think the fact that we're in a position where we feel like we should be competing for a place in college football playoff every season is remarkable. And I think we need to step back and realize that that's amazing what we've done, but we still have just that little more, uh, you know, just a little bit more to get over the edge and into that consistently, which may never happen, but you know, Hey, that's why we watch, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about kind of this, this next, uh, next year as, as Jake Browning's big year. Um, I think, you know, five years for, for Peterson is big. And then, you know, you you get a pretty good glimpse out of it, out of it, uh, September 1st in Atlanta next year, uh, playing Auburn. So should be fun, um, heading into this next season to kind of see, does that leap happen? Um, which is tough given all the guys that we just mentioned who are, um, just, you know, absolute all-time great players that are, that are leaving the program. So it should be interesting. Speaking of leaving the program or the opposite of leading the program would be coming into the program. Uh, and that's what you are a specialist in. You are uh, a, a sponge for the, the message boards of, of talking about recruiting and all those those great things about um, kind of the next wave of, of Husky football players. Give us uh, give us a couple names. You know, we just had this early signing day in, in college football. Give us a couple names of guys that, that Husky fans should be looking for next season. Savon Ahmed is kind of the guy, and Hunter Bryant were the guys this season that made an immediate impact as freshmen. Who are those guys going to be next season uh, from this incoming class? Yeah, so just just a quick general overview. Uh, this season was the first year that they had an early signing period, uh, so they could actually uh, commit and sign in December as opposed to the usual first Wednesday of February. Um, so our, our class currently on 247.com which is a composite of all the main ranking sites, so it's probably the most accurate in my opinion, is uh, we're 12th nationally, which is outstanding. Um, on signing day, we were first in the Pac-12, but we've been bumped down to second by uh, none other than USC, so which is kind of expected. But getting into the uh, specific players that you should probably look out for, uh, the first one that comes to mind is Marcus. I believe it's Marcus, could be Marquis Spiker out of Marietta Valley in California. He's a 6'3 wide receiver, weighing in 188 pounds. Um, he set the all-time uh, the career receiving record, receiving touchdown record in the state of California with 72 over his um, career there. Um, I'll just read a snippet from the amazing Greg Biggins here, just talking about what we got coming in. He says, Spikert played at an incredibly high level this past season, breaking state records uh, for touchdown receptions in a career. He's one of those receivers that just does everything well. He's a physical 6'2", with a strong frame, runs well after the catch, has incredible body control, and does a great job catching 50-50 balls. Jump over a defensive back or run past him, very good blocker. Um, And he goes on and on. So basically, he's kind of the whole package. Um, They compare him to Darren Carrington. Um, a lot, which I can see in him. So that's someone that you should look out for. I think he'll see the field right away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, going alongside uh, Austin Osborne, who's the next name on the list, uh, another wide receiver out of California, Mission Viejo to be exact, and another four-star. Not as highly touted technically by recruiting uh, ranking standards, but Chris Peterson has showed that those things mean nothing. Um you're going to have two quarterbacks coming in this season. Both will, uh, I, I assume, redshirt. Maybe one of them won't just to provide backup for Jake. But you're going to have Colson Yankoff out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, he's a dual-threat quarterback, ranked in the top 100, as well as Jacob Sermon out of Bothell, also ranked in the top 100. Um, it's kind of a toss-up into what I think these two can – or who's going to come out on top because these two guys are probably the two individuals – that will be duking it out for playing time after Jake Browning. And I, I kind of like what I see from Yankoff versus Sermon just because Yankoff provides that dual threat um, option. He can, you know, he's 6'3", 6'4", 200 pounds, but he also is pretty quick and he can get out in space and uh, make a guy miss, which is pretty rare for someone mm-hmm. of his size. Um, and probably, let's say, I'll go two more here. I mean, I, there's a lot. There's 19 in total. But uh, Brennan Cajo out of Reno. He had offers from Alabama, um, USC, 
uh, BYU. He was committed to BYU all, all the way up until just earlier in December, and he flipped to UW, and that was a huge coup. Um, he's an inside linebacker, and uh, he'll he, he'll see the field, I think, right away, probably on special teams, and you might see him rotate in at linebacker here and there, but I really doubt we'll see a red shirt out of him. And then um, lastly, I'll cap it off with Kyler Gordon, the local kid out of uh, Everett, Washington, Archbishop Murphy. He's a cornerback. He can play on both sides of the ball, although I believe they'll be playing him at corner, adding to the pretty unreal depth we have uh, in the defensive secondary. It's 5'11", 180, and he's going to bring some speed to the field as well. Um, so those are the main, those are the five guys that you should be, six guys you should be looking for. But, uh, you know, top to bottom, this class is outstanding. I think there's nine of 19 or four-star recruits. And, uh, you know, like I said, Chris Peterson, he doesn't care about any stars or anything like that. We've seen a lot of three-star guys come out and, and be absolute uh, studs for the Huskies uh, in their careers. So got to be excited about where recruiting's going, and I would expect us to be right there in that same uh, area next season as well. Good stuff, good stuff. I mean, um, first thing that jumps off to me is, is how incredibly unfortunate it is that we probably won't see Colson Yankoff um, be on the field at the same time as, as Braden Dickey. Um, the, the, Yankoff, mm-hmm. the Yankoff to Dickey uh, connection would have been just incredible. You uh, just couldn't, you couldn't resist that one. Could I, you? It was low hanging fruit, um, yeah. which is my specialty, but it, we will get, sounds like some yank off to spiker, um, which that sounds fun. So we'll yeah. get that eventually. I'm with you. And even just watching, uh, McSorley and watching college offenses in general, you kind of just need that quarterback who, who can make the play happen on, on, you know, in the scrambling part of it, uh, not necessarily build that into your offense. Cause you kind of, you kind of get into a weird part with that. But when you have that guy who we saw with McSorley play breaks down third and five, everyone's covered. He can still get the first down with his legs. And that's, that's an important part of, um, of kind of these, these new, new types of offenses. So I like, I like Yankoff's upside, but that quarterback battle will be interesting to see uh, kind of how it plays out in probably not next year or definitely not next year, but, uh, but in the next few years. So uh, some interesting stuff there. Getting close to the end of this, um, wrapping up this podcast, and by doing that, we're also wrapping up this season. Um, just kind of do some some uh, some word association here, fill in the blank. To you, the 2017 Washington Husky football season will be known as the season of the what? Oh boy, I don't know if I can put it all into like one or two words. I had trouble with this as well, and I made the question. yeah yeah. <laughs> I might have to just give a kind of a brief overview here i think i think there's some there's definitely some missed opportunities i mean obviously the arizona state loss never should have happened and uh i liked our chances going down to stanford that was a game we we should have won we were i think we're better than stanford um but at the same point you won 10 games this season and 10 games is kind of that threshold that that kind of separates the above average teams to pretty good teams in my opinion, and so I think you have to be really happy with how the season unfolded, um, regardless of what I just mentioned with those two losses, um, or I guess it would be three total with Penn State, but 10 wins, uh, that's now back-to-back, double-digit win seasons. Um, It sets you up for what I think should be a great season for the Huskies next year. We just learned that we're getting back Caleb McGarry among other players, Greg Gaines, et cetera, et cetera. So you're getting a lot of those French players that might've gone to the NFL draft back. Um, you're going to have a pretty stacked roster. Everybody's going to be a year, you know, another year under their belt, another off season under their belt. So um, I would say very encouraging would be my final. So, word. so, we ended up getting to a point where you, you finished the sentence that says 2017 will be known as the season of the very encouraging. Uh, you, you did, <laughs> you did mention that academics weren't your strong suit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think, I think we ended up getting there. Um, I, there were so many words that you could put here. 2017 could have been the season of the, the injuries. Um, you talk about kind of 
Levon Coleman at the beginning of the season with uh, with some concussion stuff. You had uh, the big injury to Trey Adams, uh, your left tackle early in the season. That wasn't that wasn't great. Hunter Bryant, you looked like you really had something there as a downfield weapon. Could have used him a lot. Um, he just wasn't right by the time he was back in the Penn State game. Needed him in the kind of the need to make plays at the end of the game against Stanford. Those types of games. Um, you know, just to go on down the list is even Vic- Chico Clatcher. Team in receiving yards. If uh, he didn't get hurt, to be honest. Yeah, I was I was doing some kind of lookbacks um, for a, for a piece I'm working on, um, and and Chico McClatcher was just popping up a whole bunch, and you just forget about that guy, and and you know how how they had planned for him in the offense, and and to lose him as quickly as they did, you know, lose Jordan Miller on defense, Byron Murphy missed games. Um, you know, you, you take two or three of those injuries out and you still have a, a decent amount of injuries this season, but, um, kind of the timing of everything was, was the tough part. So that's, that's an option season of the special teams, you know, your, your, your kicks away from beating, beating Arizona state, or at least, um, you know, getting that game to overtime, you are, uh, kind of some, because of the state of the special teams, you're in a weird place heading into that Stanford game. Um, where, where, you know, routine kicks should have been attempted and they just weren't because the kicking game was as such. Um, How's that going to be next season? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't losing. look like we have much in the uh, pipe for that. Yeah. Uh, if you are on the, the University of Washington campus and your leg works, you might have a shot at, like, if you don't have polio, you might have a shot at being the University of Washington kicker next season. Um, that would just, be everybody, right? Because didn't they eradicate polio? We have, we have a vaccination for polio. So basically what I'm saying is go <laughs> go, go try out uh, anybody that, that has a working leg. Uh, you are eligible. So Oskies need a kicker next season, which, you know, we talk about big program problems. Big programs have, have kickers. So um, got to get that figured out. The, the Azeem thing you talked about, it's just kind of this this weird, uh, you know, like you said, 10 wins, great. Um, you know, big big benchmark for the program to get back-to-back 10-win 10 10 seasons. But it was a weird 10 wins and, and kind of uh, the roundabout way of doing it. Uh, didn't, didn't win your two biggest games. And, um, you know, that's kind of a, a disappointing element to this season. So maybe a season of disappointment, if I'm being honest, and maybe just a season of coming back down to earth um, after that, that Peach Bowl game against... Alabama last year, you're thinking, oh, what do we really have here? You know, you're playing the best team in the country or one of them, and then you lose in that kind of game. You don't really know what you have. This season was the chance to show that, and uh, a little underwhelming. So I'm, hey, I'm you know, hey, as I as I said, I'm I'm half glass full. So right, right. Are you sure that half glass isn't empty? You haven't you haven't finished the glass yet? <laughs> I, I I am sure. I, I'm I'm going to maintain that that mentality good for you good for you uh mm-hmm. yeah so a, a strange season for sure so a season yeah of, i'll give you that a season of oddities um which is yeah. how, how many weird things went down um for sure uh, gotta maintain perspective though 10 wins is nothing to uh to be ashamed to shake a stick at for sure yeah. um let's uh let's look forward briefly to 2018 one of the things that i that i want to talk about is you know, you lose Gaskin, you lose Coleman. Those are your two conventional running backs. And behind them is Savon Ahmed, who certainly had uh, some moments this season where you look at that guy and say, he is a world-class talent at running back. Um, but he's a little diminutive. Um, he comes in not looking like your conventional thumper running back. So um, how many carries is he going to get? What's his workload going to be like? Uh, what do you think about that? What Do you think we can we can fully lean on, on Ahmed next season? It's hard to tell. Um, I, I think he's talented enough. Uh, it's just who's going to spell him, you know, who's going to be that guy that takes the the pressure off of him, kind of like LeVon did this season for Gaskin. And that's pretty undecided at this point. You have, I think, Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew waiting in the wings, unless McGrew goes to quarterback, which uh, <laughs> is a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, there was some, uh, some rogue camera work discovered that Sean McGrew was taking snaps at quarterback. This is what, five foot seven Sean McGrew? Uh yeah, five foot seven, hundred and sixty nine pounds soaking wet, I think. Yeah. So I'm looking at the roster. But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that tailback roll shapes or shakes up. But uh but like I said, I, I we've we've seemingly always found that guy when we've lost our guy the year before. So I feel confident in Ahmed to uh, take over that role and carry that torch for mm-hmm. the program. Yeah, I, I another thing I was working on um, 
looking at kind of how Ahmed was used this season, and it was it was you know a pretty good amount of, of in between the the tackles, kind of conventional runs, uh, but he also got some some looks at, at you know bubble screens and jet sweeps and reverses and things like that. I don't think we'll see him on those as much. I think it'll be more um, kind of getting him on wheel routes like like uh, like the Huskies were doing with Gaskin a little bit this season, um, getting him involved in the screen game. Uh, will be something to take a look at for sure. But I think that guy that you're going to see doing those things is a guy we just mentioned. Chico McClatcher is basically going to yep. be your Savon Ahmed this season. He's going to be your bubble screen guy. He's going to be your jet sweep guy, your reverse guy, um, some kind of funky looks with him. So I, I like that that idea of, of, you know, you lose Ahmed as this kind of splash, uh, run him across the field, get a, get a defense in motion. Uh, but you gain a guy who's very qualified to do that um, coming into his third year with, with Chico McClatcher. So I just- like I like that look. Get him in space. That's all I need to do. Exactly. So it'll be kind of a different look because I don't think you have you have uh, those those kind of conventional ground pound running backs like you had with with Gaskin and Coleman as kind of this you know you know pseudo thunder and lightning kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of have lightning and lightning next year with with uh, McClatcher <laughs> and and Ahmed. So uh, we'll see how that looks. Um, kind of Washington I thought their offense looked great this season when they pushed the pace and um with those two guys you certainly can do that uh what about the rest of the offense do you think that that the the kind of the the receiving core you lose Dante Pettis you lose Will Disley do you think the the Fuller uh Quentin Pounds will be back next season Hunter Bryant Drew Sample Andre Bichelia uh maybe Marquis Spiker gets in the mix do you think do you think that's that's a that's a still a talented enough receiving core or is the loss of a guy like Dante Pettis just it's it's a lot to overcome. I, I, I do feel good in the rec- good about the receiving core. I think there's a lot of guys in there that just haven't been given the opportunity. You know, like Ty Jones, for instance. I mm-hmm. think that guy can end up being a pretty solid wide receiver for us. Uh, as you mentioned, Quentin Pounds, uh, Aaron Fuller had a pretty solid year, uh, third leading receiver. Um, so you know you can be- depend on him, but it's just you know can they be the guys? You know they've been in. Um, either not really playing at all or they've been in kind of those secondary roles. So it's like, okay, now now you're the right. one. Can you go out there and actually perform at that level? And uh, from what I've seen so far, nothing tells me that they shouldn't be able to. It's nice to get uh, the two guys in, in, in Spiker and Osborne, because they bring you some much-needed size. Those guys are well over six foot. Um Granted, they won't probably be in in there all the time, but I think I th- honestly think Spiker, you could see him. Uh, we saw Ty Jones here and there, but I think you'll see him more than Ty Jones uh, played this season. I mm-hmm. think he's just better ov- overall. Um, but yeah, no, I I think there's a lot of young talent here. Um, definitely something to be excited about. A position group to be excited about. Yeah, I think you have enough fish in that barrel to kind of see see someone hit. I think between Pounds and Fuller, um, you know, Quentin Pounds might have had the best catch of the season, um, that catch mm-hmm. in double coverage in, in Colorado to really crack that game open. Uh, Aaron Fuller, he saw the touchdown late in that Penn State game. Hunter Bryant just looked like a freak uh, heading into his injury, unfortunately, this season. So there's flashes, right? And so enough of those flashes put together and you have a pretty good receiving core. So I'm excited about that. Um, I think that there's enough enough talent there for, for you know, three or four guys to click at least you get both tackles coming back um, you just mentioned Caleb McGarry all indications are that that left tackle Trey Adams will be back those are two NFL tackles um, will certainly help he announced he would be after his injury by the way perfect yep yep so you have you have those two guys at an all pack 12 level um, those coming back so the offense the offense looks good like we said it's a lot's going to come down to to Jake Browning's play um, you know so so that's that's not a bad place to be where you're relying on a senior quarterback um, who has has done it uh, maybe not to the level that everyone would like him to but but we've seen him uh, perform at a very elite level and it's time to put it all together moving over the defensive side of the ball um, you know who who are the big? Well, we we talked about the big losses, but um, you mentioned before that the that the linebacking crew. You know, even losing Azim Victor, losing Keyshawn Bieria, you mentioned that we're still in good shape. Um, ben Burkirvan, uh, America's favorite caveman, will will be right in the middle. But then, who else in that linebacking crew is going to step up for for kind of those those uh, those detractions this season? Sure, you have. I mean. Right out of the get-go, you have DJ Beavers, who've, who's played in some big games, most notably being uh, the Apple Cup last season, as well as the Peach Bowl, um, in place of 
uh, Azeem Victor. So you have him coming back. Um, you also have Brandon Wellington, who uh, who was highly touted out of uh, Eastside Catholic. He'll be a junior. Um, you also have Camilo Eifler, who is, uh, I, I think I sent you a tweet yesterday. Yep. One guy saying he was like the most exciting special teams player he saw this season in college football, just because the guy's an absolute freak. You know, he he's there's those players that you just look at and you're like, wow, that's that's a football player right there, and that is Camilo Eifler at six one two twenty three. So um, excited to see what he can do in the linebacking position, and uh, it's pretty nice to think that you know, like that may be our worst position group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, especially when you know defense uh, on the defensive line, you lose Vita Vea, which is a big impact guy, uh, but you retain Greg Gaines. He's one of the guys that said he was going to come back for his senior season. Uh, just a force inside. Jalen Johnson, Ryan Bowman, um, you know, Onzo Enrique. Just a, a lot of these guys who have plenty of, of pedigree, and and now it's just kind of their time to show up. So. Um, we're, we're seeing talent, and I think that the, the big section of this team will be on that back end. You have junior Taylor Rapp, senior JoJo McIntosh, um, and then all those corners between Jordan Miller, Byron Murphy, Austin Joyner, Miles Bryant, um, all those guys who are young, and you're going to kind of see that, that next step uh, from a lot of those guys, I think. Yeah, throwing Elijah Molden in there and uh, and the likes of, you know, like a Keith Taylor, Brandon McKinney, Kentrell Love. I mean, Isaiah Gilchrist, those guys are all way down the pecking order, but they're still, I think, you know, some pretty high-quality players in there. So it's just remarkable the amount of uh, talent we have on that back end, and we're, we're adding even more talent to that in Trey Lowe and uh, Kyler Gordon, um, among others, in this season's or this year's recruiting class. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a lot there for sure, um, and it's just kind of in, in this nice little position where you you feel strongly that this program is um, kind of has this floor now, this like nine ten win floor, and then it's just can you put together the the big games? Can you can you go into to Atlanta next season, um, you know, and 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 celebrate the right way, and, and or after you beat Auburn and, and get yourself some Chick Fil A um, af- af- after a win rather than after a loss. Sad Chick Fil A is is one of the the sadder things things on the planet a chick-fil-a sandwich after a loss just feels like soggy uh but i'm sure mm-hmm. a chick-fil-a sandwich after a win is just the this this fluffy delicious um just delicacy i'm i can't even imagine it's the good type of soggy exactly exactly there's a difference there's a good soggy and a bad soggy very sure. true very true that you can look at the same uh mcdouble and, and feel two different ways about it depending on your mood um <laughs> We started and ended talking about <laughs> disgusting fast food, so I think that's a good place uh, to kind of bookend this. Um, I, I have one more question for you. Absolutely, fire what, away. What are your What is your expectations from like a win standpoint and like accomplishment, just overall as a team? Yeah, I, it's tough. You kind of got to treat that uh, that next season that game against against Auburn as kind of half a win. Um, it's almost a deal breaker. Yeah, really. I mean, it, it goes two different ways because you could, you could lose that game and then and then have a successful conference slate um, and then because you had this direct litmus test against a, a top tier team uh, that can be used against you in the, in the the conversations going forward for a uh, from a playoff perspective as well. They played a big team. Uh, we don't even need to guess what it would be like if they played a top tier team because we saw and then they lost. Um, so that game will go a long way in kind of justifying uh, the Huskies as a program going forward and then looking at um, kind of the, the big picture if they do get into a playoff perspective. So, you know, record-wise, I think you're looking at, at 10, maybe 11 wins regardless. Uh, the at-Utah game is going to be tough right off the bat. Um, and so if, if you, if you you know, you look at the first three games going to Georgia to play Auburn, um, coming back home for North Dakota, and then at Salt Lake, or at Utah in Salt Lake City, could very easily be one and two for no other fault than those are just two really good teams that you got to play in a hostile environment. So, um, is it? Can you ask me at the middle of September? Because I think we're going to learn a whole <laughs> lot about the Husky season in those those first two of those first three games. Yeah, that's a that's an outstanding point. I mean, if you somehow get through that unscathed at three zero, you got to be thinking like, wow, okay, this is this is another year that we should be gunning for that top four. Yeah. I mean, I think personally, overall. Uh, I think the the expectation has got to be winning the conference and getting into a New Year's Six Bowl at the very least. I mean, there's no reason why this team next year shouldn't win the Pac-12. And 
Uh, I know there's some good teams out there, but there's also some teams that are just in complete disarray. You know, you look mm -hmm. at both the Arizona schools are kind of in some disarray right now, even though they have some players. It's just like, what the heck's going on down there? Uh, USC and UCLA have both lost their starting quarterbacks to the draft. Obviously, they're loaded with talent, but we've talked about this earlier that that doesn't always translate to success on the field. You've got Chip Kelly, so who knows what's going to happen at UCLA there. Um, Oregon schools, you know, eh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, WSU, I guess. I, I mean, overall, I just... Stanford is going to be solid, but in probably USC. But I think you got to be gunning for that title and mm -hmm. and going to a near six bowl. Yeah, get get Stanford at home and avoid USC for another another season. Uh, the yeah, Huskies wow. will, will play four four uh, Pac-12 teams that are that have new coaches: um, UCLA, Oregon, Arizona State, and Oregon State. Uh, all four of those teams will have uh, new guys at the helm. So you know, you think like like we said, you get through those first three games, and then the uh, the conference slate is pretty favorable. So uh, should be an interesting month of September, Husky fans. Um, uh, this is uh, it's been fun. We we kind of started doing this as just I uh, hit you up to um, to to talk a little bit heading into the Arizona State game, um, feeling all kinds yeah. of of optimism, <laughs> and then that was quickly negated. We responded well. We got back on, and we made this into a, a pretty regular thing. So uh, proud of us. It's been fun to talk about the dogs throughout this season. Yeah, this has been outstanding. Uh, it's been nice to be able to just like you know actually just say what's on my mind usually i'm just either trying to throw it in on text to you which is not very effective or i have no one else to talk to about and you can obviously especially say that given the fact you're marooned out there in boston so, absolutely uh, yeah uh both of us uh live with 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 roommates who just could not give a rat's don't you know you, you know heine about uh or you know what about uh, about football and college football. So uh, it's been yeah. great to, to have you as kind of a thought partner through the season. Um, I appreciate that. And uh, go dogs. We're, we're in it for the long haul. And it's it's future's looking bright, but uh, next season's a pretty big test for us. Yep, go dogs. Let's get that basketball win against the Cougs on Saturday, huh? A absolutely. Uh, keep, keep it rolling. Um, big fan of the Mike Hopkins start. That'll be a conversation for a different day. All right, Stan, uh, thanks so much for coming on. All right, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you.